Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Sachin Patel. And Sachin is a father, husband, philanthropist, functional medicine practice success coach, international speaker, and best-selling author. His philosophy is that the doctor of the future is the patient. I love that. And he is actively doing whatever it takes to keep people out of the medical system by empowering them through education, self-care, and remapping their mindset. Sachin founded the Living Proof Institute as part of his own personal transformation and now coaches practitioners all over the world on how to step into their power and save their communities. To date, he has delivered hundreds of community workshops. He is an advocate for changing the healthcare paradigm, and he has devoted his life to the betterment of healthcare for both patients and practitioners. And you know how you have that hunch that something isn't quite right? Well, Dr. Sacha Patel is going to share a story about how following that hunch led him to realize he was being completely betrayed in his business. But, but, but through a combination of his emotional imprinting, a plan B, and his strong faith, he was able to bounce back better than before. It'll all make sense soon. And to all of my business owners, you're going to love this conversation. Here we go. Okay, so we have Sachin Patel with us today. And, you know, so often we hear about the betrayal of a family member or a partner or a friend. And this is going to be an interesting, interesting story, especially for uh, if if you're a business owner, pay attention. So (laughs) welcome, Sachin. Thank you, Debbie. I'm so honored to be here, and I look forward to sharing this story, although I I wish I never had to tell it, you know, as I'm sure that's a lot of your guests feel. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And and it's so common where we wish it didn't happen, but we've learned so much because of it. So let's just dive right in. Tell us what happened. Sure. So I'm a chiropractor, and in about 2008-ish, I started working for a company, and I won't name names, but I started working for a company and it seemed like one of the best opportunities I had ever encountered. It was almost like one of those things that was too good to be true. And it turned out to be that way, but not because of something that I did wrong and not because of something that they did wrong. You know, so I've kind of dissected this and, you know, looking back, we can connect the dots. It's much easier to do that. And I realized that they had the best intentions, but they just made a few bad choices. And some businesses are just a few bad choices away from going belly up. So I started off working with a company and they had offices located inside gyms. So my interest is in sports, chiropractic and functional medicine. And so I started working with them in the functional medicine and sports chiropractic capacity and a partner of mine and I, we just, we just took this clinic and blew it up. So we went, they went from seeing, you know, six patients a week to seeing 140 patients a week in a matter of just a few months because my partner and I knew what we were doing and we just, you know, we're compassionate, we're empathetic, we're great clinicians, and we just love helping people. So we put our all into this and started working at this clinic. As a result of that, they gave us the keys to two additional clinics. So within three or four months, we had three clinics up and running for this organization, and everything was hunky-dory. But what ended up happening with this company is they started expanding really, really quickly because because the gyms that they were in were expanding quickly they wanted to piggyback off of these gyms. And what they didn't realize is the amount of work and effort that my partner and I were putting into is not necessarily uh, replicatable. 
Okay. Mm. And Sachin, I just want to stop you here. So at this point now, take us back to uh, here you are growing, growing these clinics and getting all of these patients in and everybody's happy. And what was the communication between you and these people? You know, communication was great. And, you know, I worked with them for about three and a half years. So I was there, I was in it for the long run, but it was the last year that I was there where they ran into some challenges and financial challenges specifically. And, you know, with the way insurance th- insurance is, it's always going downhill. It was an insurance-based uh, practice. You know, some of it was cash, most of it was insurance. So, you know, when insurance goes downhill, then some of these practices go downhill. And so everything was great. I was getting paid on time. I was making, you know, more money than I had ever made before. My efforts were being acknowledged. But then, like I said, you know, a few bad choices they made, they just grew too quickly. And what they realized was they thought their systems were producing the results when in reality it was the hard work and the experience that was producing the results. And, you know, they just made a few bad choices and hired the wrong people. And they were essentially robbing Peter to pay Paul. So the income that we were generating for the company, they were using to float all the other clinics. And it came to a point where, uh, you know, they were... IOUing me, so they would pay me half of my pay and then try to, you know, pay me the rest a little bit later or a few weeks later. Then a few weeks turned into a few months, and then that turned into quarters. And then at one point they said, "Hey, we're going to give you equity in the company in exchange for the money that we owe you." And that was a big red flag for me. So then mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. So I was actually in a really tough spot because, as a result of working with this company, I was put in a position where I could afford a really nice house. So my wife and I built a nice home together. And we're moved in a year into uh, moving into our house is when, you know, all these problems started. And at the same time that we bought the house, my wife was pregnant. So here we are with a young family. Uh, My son is about a year old. Uh, My wife hasn't worked for a year at this point because she took a permanent mat leave, essentially. My parents also lost their business around the same time. So they moved in with me. And here I am, you know, not getting paid what I should get paid. And essentially what was floating the boat for us, what was keeping us alive and not and prevented us from going under was I was selling supplements. So supplement sales, in addition to the money that I was making, that's what kept me alive. So I'm forever indebted to that residual income that was coming in from mm-hmm. you know offering supplements to my patients because that's how I was paying my mortgage. That's how I was paying my expenses every month. And then I went to, on a vacation that I shouldn't have been on technically, but I booked it a year in advance. It was one of my best friend's weddings. And I was in Hawaii sitting with one of my friends on the beach and explaining to him the situation. And he said, you know, dude, you got to leave. So I still remember this. I came back from the vacation, celebrated my son's first birthday. And then I walked into the office. It took me a week to build up the courage. And once I did, I just, I just, you know, handed in my keys and I said, I can't do this anymore, guys. Like, I don't know what to do anymore because, you know, you're not paying me. And certainly, it's not fair to me. It's not fair to my wife. It's not fair to my son. It's not fair uh, to our patients because it's hard to keep a smile on your face when you know you're not getting paid for the work mm-hmm. that you're doing. So I had to literally walk away, and uh, it was a tough decision. Not only not only was I, uh, you know, on the hook for my mortgage every month, and uh, you know, and on the hook to support my family and to raise my son and to support my wife. I mean, so many responsibilities. But I had also bought a condo in Toronto because our goal was to move back to Toronto after my son was two years old. So we had purchased a condo for us to move back. And the plans with this company was for me to go to Canada and expand, you know, the brand over there. 
So everything mm. on paper was was good, but then in, when push came to shove and I had to walk away, I didn't know what to do. And so as a result of that situation, I had to come to grips with, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to focus my time and energy on? And so... And, and you know what? And I definitely want to get there, but I want to back up a little bit. So tell, tell us when... When did you start getting a sense that something wasn't right? Because what happens so often with betrayal is we turn down our intuition because we're trying to keep the peace because we just don't have it on our radar that someone would betray us. So we're really turning down those those little feelings we'd get that something is off. But when did you start getting a sense something isn't right? Something well, wasn't right. I mean, I guess for me, it was kind of clear because we could actually see the stats from other locations. And so when our clinical stats and our income stats were like way higher than everybody else's, and I, saw, and I realized what the expenses are to run a clinic like this and to staff it and to pay the overhead for all the administration that's involved, I realized that something wasn't quite right. I was kind of asking myself, how are these guys going to make ends meet if you only have, you know, it's kind of like an 80-20, right? You have 20% of your clinics pulling in 80% of the revenue that's not going to work in the long run. So there were some red flags for me uh, that popped up, but part of me wanted to believe that this would all work mm -hmm. out at the end. And, you, you, you know, they were just hitting some snafus and I had it all in writing. So that gave me a little bit of security that they would eventually pay me. But, you know, the moment they said that, you know, we're going to put, give you equity in the, in the business, then that's mm -hmm. when I knew that's when the red flags really went up for me. So I had to start thinking about, okay, what's my exit strategy now? Mm -hmm. And, and that, what I see so often when it comes to betrayal, we have these hunches, we get a sense that something isn't right, but we just, you know, we're putting off speaking up or saying something or confronting the person. So bring us back to that time. Let's say, you know, th that time when you said, okay, the red flags were there, you saw it. And when they said, we're going to give you equity, you really knew something wasn't right. W what was that week like when you, and then here you are in Hawaii, which should be the most relaxing and enjoyable vacation. But what did you, what conclusions did you come up with then? And, and what did you have to say to yourself to get, get yourself to the point where you say, okay, you know what, this absolutely isn't making sense. And I need to say something. Yeah, you know what? I, I had mentioned several times that this is not working because, uh, you know, I did speak up for myself. So it's not like I wasn't. But, you know, when somebody betrays you again, I'm not I'm go I'm going to assume that none of this was malicious. I'm assuming maybe rightfully so or wrongfully so. I'm assuming that, you know, this was not what they wanted either. Right. It was just a bad situation that was taking place and they had to keep they couldn't afford to lose their star clinician. So I realized in hindsight that they had to do and say whatever I wanted to hear in order to keep me in the practice and keep me going. But, you know, it was, it was a tough week because, uh, you know, I really had to, I really had to, you know, look my wife in the face and say, this is what I'm doing. I had to look my son in the face and, and apologize to him in a sense. He didn't know at the time what I was saying, mm -hmm. but, you know, apologize to him for being away so much. And, you know, I had to hide this from my parents. Like they were living with me and I didn't have the courage to tell them and I actually had to hide it from the staff that I was working with because I didn't want them to lose space and I didn't want them to lose momentum because they were still getting paid because, you know, once you stop paying those type of employees, they're gone, right? It's the mm -hmm. doctors that we can abuse, uh, you know, in some regard, but you know, when, when you stop paying the, you know, the, the, the workforce, then they're going to walk away very, very quickly and they're easy, they're easier to replace, but you can't replace them unless you're paying them. So 
you know, they were getting paid. So I had to, I had to like keep a smile on my face the whole time. And it was a tough thing to do. And it was even tougher because I was in a jam. I, my condo that I bought was still about two years from being finalized. You know, we bought it pre-construction. So what am I going to do for the next two years? And, uh, you know, that was, that was a big challenge for me. And, you know, one of the things that it's hard to do as a, as a physician is to, to explain your vulnerability to people, you know, the lay person doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. understand or empathize when a physician is complaining about their finances because people just mm-hmm. assume that we, you know, money just comes to us. We don't have to work for it. Uh, and that's certainly not the case. So, you know, it, it was, it was tough. It was challenging, but I had to do what was right. And then to top things off, like, here's what was happening, Debbie. We were, we were launching a weight loss program. So right around the time this was all happening, you know, I had a lot of hope because I was actually one of the medical directors uh, for a weight loss show. It was like a reality TV show. This is when The Biggest Loser and stuff like that was really popular. Mm-hmm. So I was filming with through this organization. I was filming for a weight loss program that we were running. And we had actually helped a lady lose 55 pounds in 55 days. So we knew what we oh, were wow. doing. Like we were getting amazing results uh, with this individual. So that was something that I was holding on to as well. I'm like, okay, this is a risk that we take. And if this takes off, it's going to like, you know, it's going to go to the moon because that was a really trending thing at the time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I was holding on for those type of things. I was just kind of banking on, on the fact that, hey, this could pay off in the long run. And if it does, it's going to pay off big. And, you know, once I realized that it wasn't, it, just, it was just time for me to walk. It was, it was a six month conversation with my wife. She was, you know, she was asking me for six months, when are you going to get paid? When are you going to mm. get paid? When are you going to get paid? And, and uh, it was tough. It wasn't easy to go through all that. I- and, you know, and, and I'm picturing, I have this visual of, of keeping a pebble in place that's preventing an avalanche from, from coming down. Right. Because I, w- I imagine the, the hardest picture out of all of that for me is, is not, being, not, not being able to tell everybody that you're working with what's really happening and not telling your parents and trying to act like everything's okay when it really isn't. Just that had to be so hard to do. It, it was. You know, it really was. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not good at lying. Right. So it's hard to wear a smile on your face when, you know, the people that you know, like, and trust and love, you have, you have to, you know, fake it till you make it for them. And, mm-hmm. and in this case, it wasn't fake it till you make it. It was fake it until it breaks. Right. And then finally the, the back broke and we had to do something about it. So, you know, thankfully it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And that's what I want to get to. So how could something like that be the, one of the best things that's ever happened? Well, you know, <laughs> so when I left that practice, when I walked away, I basically had to figure out for myself, what am I going to do with my life right now? Because I had that, uh, that limbo with the condo that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to move back to Toronto. Uh, this was the time when the housing market was crashing in the U.S., but the Canadian housing market was taking off like a rocket ship. So bad time to sell your house and bad time to buy a house in Toronto. So, you know, we had to get really, really lean. That's one of the things I learned how to do uh, through this process. I learned how to live really, really lean. And to top it all off, Debbie, I'll, I'll just tell this story because sometimes you do get kicked when you're down. So that TV show, uh, you know, eventually we finished the recording of that TV show. And as a result of that, the episode turned out really, really well. I ended up going to the girl's wedding. And uh, the producer of the show said, hey, this is really going to take off. I would love for you to be the executive producer of this TV show. And at the time, I didn't know what executive producer meant. But executive mm-hmm. producer, for those of you who don't know, is somebody who pays for everything. 
Oh boy. <laughs> so I basically, he said, we need $7,000 to market this. And I wrote him a check for $7,000. It was my last $7,000. My wife's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I just, for whatever reason, um, I felt like I had to do it. And intuitively I knew maybe it wasn't the right thing, but I just, something said, take the risk and, you know, push, you know, fast forward, push comes to shove. Uh, you know, a few months later, I never hear anything back from him. And he oh, runs off no. of my money. It's so not only Ugh. does this company owe me $60,000, but I just wrote a check for my last 7000 And it was just, it was just brutal. So, you know, it was not a good time. It was a very challenging time for us financially, very challenging time for us uh, emotionally. And thankfully, mm-hmm. um, again, like I said, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in karma. And so mm-hmm. what, I, what I did was I submitted to the idea that, hey, if I've earned this money, it'll find its way back to me. And if they haven't earned this money, it's certainly not going to end up in their pockets. I was reluctant to sue them. But when I realized that they had done this to several other people and nobody else had sued them, I realized that I had to do something. So one of my good friends was a lawyer. And I said, I told him, I said, listen, Jason, I actually don't want to be involved in this. I don't want to expend any of my mental energy into suing these guys, but I want you to do something so we don't do this to somebody else. And so, Mm. you know, through the process, they eventually had to file bankruptcy. And so Mm -hmm. I felt good knowing that this wasn't going to happen to anyone else anymore. They had to shut down their practices and, and, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that I did it because now I know that they're not going to abuse other people that way, but I Mm -hmm. felt guilty as well because I know that, you know, I'm at least, my, my hope is that their intention wasn't malicious. And I honestly, I don't think it was, but you know, when you lie to someone that's betraying them, when you lead someone on that's betraying them, even if your intentions are good, if it's not the truth, it's betrayal. So. Yeah. And you know what though, Sachin, I'm listening to your story and what, what is so common to betrayal is the person who's been betrayed is anger and bitterness and resentment. And I have to be honest, I'm not hearing that with you. So what was this a conscious decision not to be angry or, or bitter or resentful or is just, are you just wired that way? How are you, how are you not, how are you not feeling those emotions? You know, really interesting question. I didn't realize this uh, until I did uh, some really advanced genetic testing on myself that I actually am wired to have poor emotional imprinting. And so emotional imprinting has a lot to do with how we metabolize more adrenaline. And so our stress hormones, depending on how we're wired genetically, some people will have stronger imprinting than others. So my wife, for example, has stronger genetic imprinting. I think you've met her. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if something happens, she's going to remember it for like the rest of her life. Whereas Mm -hmm. for me, if something happens, it's like water off a duck's back. Like I have no idea, like, you know, what happened. It's not that I don't have an idea that happened, but I have no emotional attachment to things. And my entire family is the same way. So my mom, my dad, my brother. So I realized that this is something genetic, but I actually have confirmation that it's genetic, that I have poor emotional imprinting. And so, so I realized that only afterwards, but at the time, the way I would describe it to myself, the way I would explain the situation to myself is that, listen, I've got one brain, I've got one life. And I can use that brain and I can use that life to chase after these people, or I can Mm -hmm. use that brain and use this life to actually create something that's meaningful. And so what I realized through this process is that, hey, I can be an entrepreneur 
And I can start my own practice because I've already done it through these guys. I know I'm willing to do the work. I have the strategy. I have the rapport. I have the clinical skill set. I have the ability to market and promote myself. I have the relationship capital. So I had everything I needed to start my own business. And that's what I eventually ended up doing uh, is starting my own business. And then I just told myself, listen, you know, and you have to be a man of faith or a woman of faith as well. Uh, in mm-hmm. Sanskrit, the word the Shraddha, which is like uh, unconditional faith. And so my unconditional faith was in the karmic process, which is if I've earned this money, it'll find its way to me, or the universe will pave the path for me uh, and advance me the $60,000 in, in terms of opportunities, if you will. And if I haven't earned this money, then it'll end up in the hands where it belongs. So that's what I ended up telling myself. And Mm -hmm. as a result of that, I put all my energy and effort and focus into building my practice instead of chasing these guys down. I let my lawyer handle that stuff and Mm. took care of all that. And I told him, I want nothing to do with this. I'm going to move on from this and I'm going to build my own practice because, you know, I knew that if I gave 100% of my energy and effort into building my own thing, that... I could earn that money way faster. And I already had everything I needed. I had all the tools I needed to build that practice up. Right. And you know what? It's so, but it's so logical and rational, but I'm going to harp on this because I just know so many of the people listening, although they would love to have handled something like this, it wouldn't have come nearly as easy. So do you, so talk to us a little bit more about that imprinting. And I also, you know, it's interesting because in the study I did around how women experience betrayal, what I found with every single a study participant was they became more spiritual, whether if they were very religious, they, they moved towards the spiritual side of their religion. If they went away from religion, they moved towards spirituality, or if they were, they weren't religious at all, they moved towards spirituality. And it was to just, uh, it's, absolutely served on so many levels. And do you think that really, it sounds like coming from this faith, you really had that strong belief, but, but combined with this imprinting that you're talking about, sounds like it's like a, like a home run to help you heal. Yeah. So I I guess I was built to tolerate things like this, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but you know, you're, you're right. I mean, not everyone has that emotional imprinting. So my wife would, will always tell me, man, if this was me, I don't know what I would do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would, it would scar people, you know, for a lifetime and that, that can happen to people. Right. And I totally understand that. I see that with patients. I see that with clients that I work with, you know, one thing goes sideways and then they're afraid to ever try anything ever again. And this is one of the things that I'm actually studying is, you know, I believe that entrepreneurs actually have very uh, poor emotional imprinting, just like I do, because we can walk away from things and not be emotionally attached to the outcome. And so, you know, there's, there's a whole thing that we're doing. We're testing some of the world's most successful people for their behavioral genomics to see if there's actually a trend that we can identify or a pattern that we can identify and something that we can groom early on in life uh, for people as well. But, you know, it, it, was really, it was really a combination of things. Like my wife is a pharmacist. And so I knew as a worst, as an absolute worst case scenario that she could go back to work. But I had promised her when she had my son that she would never have to go back to work because I was in a position at the time to make that promise to her. I was getting paid and I was able to make that promise to her. So I had mentally committed that she's not going back to work unless she absolutely, unless she absolutely wants to, and she didn't want Mm -hmm. to go back to work. So I I had a fail safe. And Mm -hmm. so that was my, that was one of the things I said, okay, let me try this thing out. Let me try starting my own practice. Let me try, you know, 
doing things my way this time, doing things a little bit smarter this time and see what happens. And because I had the experience, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't feel bad. Uh, I don't feel, I, of course I was betrayed, but I don't feel uh, super bad for myself because I learned so much. It was like a $60,000 education that I got. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was through that education that I realized that, Hey, here's how I can run my business. So I never do this to somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's how I can run this business and make smarter decisions. So I don't get too ahead of myself because I saw what happened to these guys. And, and so it made me a smarter entrepreneur. And I also, because I spent so much time in the office and I was so far away from my family all the time, we're not far away physically, but just mentally I was so far away from them because I was working all the time. I created a business where I could work on my own terms that I could work from home as much as I'd like to. Uh, so, or I would be close to the home. I would have all office hours that were reasonable. You know, I would charge a fee that was fair that, that also mm-hmm. didn't uh, throw me under the bus, uh, that I would work with, you know, specific clients who are highly motivated you know, so there's a lot of good things that came out of it. And even when I started hiring people to work for me, you know, I used the knowledge that I gained from this, you know, failing business to make sure that I didn't do that to somebody else. So it put me in a position uh, to really be a much better entrepreneur, actually. Yeah. So it sounds like the the combination that seemed to work for you was number one, having that plan B, you didn't want your wife to work. You, she, you, you made that a mental agreement that she wouldn't have to, but she, she could, if, if you absolutely needed to having that emotional, the emotional imprinting of just being able to have the ability to have these things kind of roll off you more easily than maybe someone else. Your, your faith and belief that karma will handle it. Uh, just the desire to create this lifestyle business and learning from what you've been through to see what's needed to create something like that. And just having it as this wonderful learning experience to become the entrepreneur and leader that, that you've become, does that seem to sum it up? What, what made you able to bounce back? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah. I would, you did a really nice job summarizing that. (laughs) <laughs> so what do you want to make sure everybody knows before we wrap up? Well, you know, here, here's what I'll tell people. I think that everything happens for a reason. Sometimes we don't know the reason. And like Steve Jobs says, it's easier to connect the dots looking back than it is to connect them going forward. And, you know, if, if you're a person of faith, then just believe that the universe or God is nudging you in the right direction and there's a better future ahead for you. And, you know, take what you've been through and learn from it, you know, apply it. And, you know, just keep in mind that your brain is extremely, extremely powerful. And so the things that you constantly think about are going to amplify and magnify and be created in your life. So if we hold on to anger, then we're going to find anger everywhere we go. If we hold on to betrayal, then we're going to see betrayal everywhere we go. But if we focus on what we want to create instead of what we're trying to uncreate, because we can't go back in the past then we're much more likely to have success. Now, you know, we can use the things that have happened to us to do two things. One, to dissect them and reverse engineer them so we never do that to somebody else. And also, one of the things that you have to realize is that when somebody betrays you, you know, that person in that form may not exist anymore, right? So they may have learned a lesson as well. So the person that has betrayed you, they've probably learned something through that experience. 
And the only place that old person who betrayed you exists is in your own mind, is in your own heart. So we don't have to hold on to that. We can move on from it and we can use what we've learned to serve us and make sure that we don't do it to anybody else and, and, uh, and just create a much better future for ourselves instead of living in the past. Oh, that's so wonderful. And you know, I, I love how you say it. it. It's so true because when we're betrayed, it is that that shock of that betrayal that changes us. But that shock can change the person who did the betraying too. So it's wonderful really to have both perspectives. I want to thank you so much. You really just shed so much light on on a challenging topic for us who are who are, you know, in business and may not have had things go so well. So how do we learn more about you? Where do we go? Well, one of the things as a practitioner that I love to share with people is we've got a free 30-day program. You know, our mantra in our practice, not to get too far off topic, but our mantra in our practice is to really help people become their own best doctor and to learn how to take the best care of themselves and their family. And to really, it's ironic, but we teach people how to stay out of our office. That's our entire Mm -hmm. strategy. And because we believe that, you know, the patient is the doctor of the future. So we've put together a 30-day program. It's called 30 and 30. And you can find out more at 30and30.org. And if you're looking for, you know, a really good functional medicine team to look after your more complex health needs, then you can also learn more at becomeproof.com. And we've got an amazing team of practitioners that can help you find the root cause of whatever health challenge somebody's facing. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. And we're going to have everything in the show notes as well. I want to thank you for your time and really for your contribution. You're just doing such great work. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it. Sachin shared so many value bombs about how to bounce back from a betrayal without it affecting us too much. Of course, there's an impact, but through a combination of his five insights, his betrayal was easier to move on from. Here they are. Number one, plan B. His wife can work if she absolutely has to. Two, his emotional imprinting, where he's just wired to have things roll off of him a bit easier than others. Three, a strong faith that karma will do its job. Four, the desire to create a lifestyle business so he could do more of what he wants. And five, use the experience to learn so he can be better as a business owner and leader. Stay in touch with him by going to 30in30.org, where he was so kind in gifting you an incredible 30-day program. We'll have everything in the show notes too, over at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And here's my biggest takeaway. Of course, we need to take responsibility for our actions and behaviors, but I had no idea there was even such a thing as emotional imprinting. Clearly, I don't have that same wiring because while I'd love to say things just roll off my back, that's not always the case. (laughs) I learned about emotional imprinting and more ways to be a better business owner, and I hope you did too. Now I'd love to give you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com to receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift and let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.